Hi, uh, my name is Rhoda. I'm going to be uh, reading a poem from my new book, uh, Giveth and Taketh Through Wild Pressed Books. This poem is called From the Perspective of Hanukkah. I am the American dream personified, the essence of the self-made man. Most of you think I am the most important Jewish holiday. I am not even in the Bible, yet look at me alongside these others no one has heard of. Shmini Yatzeret, Simchat Torah, Tu Bishvat. When was the last time you saw a Yom Kippur Hallmark card? Yom Kippur is about repentance and fasting. Call it a high holiday if you want, but guilt and hunger don't sell. I sell. I started from the bottom. Drake started a child star. I started with nothing. Yet here I am, eight days of Xbox games, of slow dancing with Jeffrey the Toys R Us giraffe. I am so popular, middle America Walmart say happy holidays on Christmas because of me while I ride this season like a racehorse yelling location, location, location as Rosh Hashanah looks on longingly from autumn. Sure. If I was a better man, I might share the limelight with these holier days devoted to family and forgiveness. But this is capitalism. My value is in your hands, and every year you choose me. Against all odds, I am not some feel-good 4th of July. Yay! We are free from England. We don't have to wear those fucking wigs anymore. My tale is one of militant Hebrews gaining leverage to better oppress moderate Jews, but still, everyone loves me. I've got lunchboxes and shit, and I did it on my own. I don't need that those pansy-ass Thanksgivings McGraw-Hill textbook consultants to knit a quilt from my broken glass narrative. I succeed without help. I don't need help. I was born on Christmas. Jesus wasn't even born on Christmas. So take it from me, Jewish high holidays with your three-hour liturgies and introspective world peace bullshit. What was your miracle Pesach? Swarms of locusts? Stone tablets? I'm sure those just fly off the shelf. Oil was my miracle. That's that shit we go to war for. Halliburton doesn't hire mercenaries to capture unleavened bread. Your archaic rituals are fossils. I am the petroleum meniscus rising above them. Just watch my dreidel spin. Watch the winner snatch up the pot. Why shouldn't he? He earned it. You just heard Eric Sirota read from The Perspective of Hanukkah, a poem from his book, Giveth and Taketh. He is joining me today on Poet Kind. I'm Susan Mulder, and welcome to the podcast. And that music you're hearing? That's Eric Sirota as well, or simply Rhoda. Rhoda is a poet, performer, and I'll just let him tell you what else he does. We'll get right to the interview. Hi, Rhoda. Now your real name is Eric, but you've given me permission to call you Rhoda, which is everybody, yes. what everybody who knows you calls you. So I, I'm honored. Thank you. Yes, that means we're friends. Yeah. That's a good thing. I am yeah. so happy that you are joining me here today because, um, yeah, I've spoken with a couple of your friends on previous episodes and I've heard nothing but good things about you. So I'm really excited to have you here. 
Yeah, I loved your episodes with with Jason, Jason and Jason Crawford and Lanny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're they're wonderful poets and people. Yeah, both folks who I want to have on again because they've yeah. just they've had um, experienced just some exponential success. So yeah. it's good. Now you are a spoken word poet. Um, I also read somewhere that let's see, you, do you prefer spoken word poet or a slam poet? Now for a neophyte like me, what's the difference? I don't know if I think there is one. I, I okay. Had this conversation once online, I feel like I think originally I think there there was maybe a difference because slam poets did spoken word, but in poetry slams, like okay. they participated in poetry slams. But now I kind of think slam poet is just kind of like a subgenre of spoken word. It's kind okay. of I think like an indie rock, like. Indie rock doesn't necessarily like the Decemberists are on Time Warner, you know, but they're still yeah. indie rock or like the Shins are on a major label, but they might still be considered indie rock because it's like an aesthetic more than like an actual description of, of okay. know, place, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you for clarifying that because I guess I, I, did, I didn't know that I didn't know that I have to be honest. I didn't know the difference. So and um, yeah, I, I can speak well of me as a poet. So. <laughs> I mean, I think probably a few years ago, all my poems were like two minutes and 45 seconds and all just meant to be read out loud from a stage. Okay. And maybe okay. I was like more of a slam poet. Now I write poems like that, but I also write like quieter stuff or, or shorter things. Okay. Whatever. Okay. Now you have the unique distinction of um, having an alter ego as sort of what I call it. You're a, you're a lawyer. I am. And I, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that, I, I'm interested in what you do with that. And then also the relationship, how that affects how you, how you function as a poet. Sure. So my background is I've mostly done kind of like legal aid, like providing legal services for people who can't afford lawyers. Most of my experience has been in housing law, like especially foreclosure law. I kind of by chance started at a legal aid organization and was assigned and kind of took over for the per people who had their only, or took over for the person who had legal aid's only foreclosure case, because usually people who are homeowners don't qualify for legal aid. But the foreclosure crisis was starting and I had the one case and then it exploded mm. and I kind of wound up getting a lot of the cases. A lot of the work I've done has been in, in kind of uh, uh, low-income foreclosure defense. Now I work at the University of Michigan Law School. I uh, supervise students in a veterans clinic. So it's students who provide legal services to veterans for, and the students get class credit and then myself and another licensed attorney supervise them. Okay. So now I do all kinds of stuff. I think my, what I would consider kind of the area I know most about or and most comfortable with is is housing law, uh, like people being foreclosed on, people being evicted, things like that. Yeah, that that has a. I'm sure it has a level of intensity. Not yeah. exactly a happy time in someone's life to, to right. be crossing paths with them. Um, does, does that influence your work at all? I definitely go through periods of burnout, or at least have to. I think I've gotten better at it. Have to have to have to manage myself to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think, I don't think it's necessarily that 
maybe this says something bad about me, but like if the person is in distress, I want to help them, but that doesn't, that doesn't distress me necessarily. Like I'm more sympathetic than empathetic. Maybe, maybe that makes me like a, a sociopath. No, I but, don't think so. <laughs> uh, uh, but what makes me, what really like is difficult is it just feels like the stakes are high, so high for people. If there's something that I think is gonna go wrong, or if I think I made a mistake or something, it like usually, it, I mean, it pretty much always works out fine, but there's always this moment like, oh my God, this person's gonna be homeless because of me. Like that, that's a very difficult feeling. Well, I imagine you have to maintain some sort of um, professional distance just in order to maintain your sanity. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I'm a little different than some poets and that like, I, like I said, kind of like people's, people's pain don't really become my pain. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm, when someone is in crisis, I don't really feel overly invested in the way that I kind of like emotionally like catch their crisis, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that I think probably fortunately for the line of work I'm in, that isn't uh, something I have to grapple with that much. Okay. So the, the, the boundary I think comes really naturally. It's more like there's a sense of, maybe this is like a, a Jewish thing, maybe this like falls down on cultural lines, but it's like, it's more derived from like a sense of, of duty. Not that, not that other people don't have a sense of duty, but like, it's, it's like, I don't want to wrong uh, the client. Yeah, it's an ethic responsibility that you feel. Yeah, and I guess I think of it more as that first than as uh, an act of empathy. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. Now, how does this, you know, what do you do when you, you come home from work and take off your tie? Are you immediately just ready to get on with things or does it take some time to, to slide into that role of poet or do you... Are you um, deliberate with setting aside specific time? You know, do you have a discipline that helps you transition? I don't think I'm terribly disciplined about it. Um, I, I feel like I almost, I don't sit down to write that much. Like, I feel like I'm writing it like in transition. You know, even if I'm, if I'm walking to the staff lounge, I'll be like writing a poem or if, if I'm on the way to work or if I'm on the bus. I think the time I was probably most disciplined is I used to live in Chicago, so I'd have like an hour commute, mm. and I would just write on the train and write on the train going back, and then all my poems were about trains. <laughs> uh, now I don't think I'm I don't think I'm very disciplined. I kind of am just like I'm writing, you know, like on the way to the shower, like just kind of like when I have dead time. I mean, I definitely find work coming home from work. Sometimes I can just come home and, and do poems. I certainly often will like walk from work to an open mic or something like that. Okay. But if I'm just left to myself, like there's nothing scheduled. No, I probably need to decompress after work a little. I probably just need to like watch bad television or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, before I, I think about anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get that, I get that. Now you have a book out. Is, this your, is this your first book? It is. Your first full-length book? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a chat book, but my first uh, properly bound book let's, publisher. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit about that. 
The book is called Giveth and Taketh, kind of centers around the experience of, I guess, being sort of a cultural left-wing Jew in the in the Trump era. Okay. I think especially, I don't know, I even find it kind of hard to talk about in some ways. Like just kind of where where I guess Jews fit, if anywhere, in sort of the I guess the chaos and the the sort of uh nationalism mm. uh Trump Trump brings about. Okay. Um because I think some of it is, you know, Jews obviously have a lot of white privilege and are are generally are generally white, but there were there's also um you know, in Charlottesville, there were Nazis marching on the marching on the streets by a synagogue, screaming, "The Jews will not replace us." And it's just this kind of weird—I don't know—I don't—I don't know where where Jews fall within that. And I kind of wrote, I so I wanted to write about those ambiguities. Um, but then I think I realized I, I kind of also have a lot of poems that are just sort of political Jewish poems or sort of poems about sort of like a, a more like existential view of of god so i kind of made it made it about all of those things so okay. it's it's kind of about um you know where the the difficulties and ambiguities of being jewish during the trump era but also just sort of like a a sense of cosmic absurdity to mm -hmm. to everything hap to everything happening yeah. Well, I thought it was really interesting when I was reading through it. For me, just for whatever reason, I don't think I've ever read something quite so distinctly Jewish. And it was eye-opening. I really, I enjoyed a different perspective. That, oh, thank you. You know, there were a few times it was like, oh, I never thought about that before. So it was, it was really, um, it was enlightening. And, you know, it, it had a few moments where I kind of chuckled because you do pluck at the absurdity that's, that's present. But also there's, there was a depth to it that, you know, I don't know what I expected going into it, but I was surprised, not in that, oh, it's better than I thought, but surprised in, oh, I, I had to really take this in and think about it. So that was, um, I appreciated it. Thank you. I think like that really means a lot. Thank you. I think uh, using humor to discuss sort of very serious or upsetting things, I, I feel like that's very Jewish. I think to me, almost like on an intuitive level, like it's almost how I was raised, uh, a serious topic invites humor. Um, like you almost kind of need humor to, I almost need humor to talk about it. Sure. Uh, so, so I'm I'm really glad you took that away from the book because that that's uh, that's humor's a humor's a big part of it, but it's not supposed to be just jokey or, or or what have you. Yeah. Well, the book is called Giveth and Taketh, and would you be willing to share a piece or two with us? I know we opened with one, but feel free to pick a couple more to share with us. Um, I'd love to. What what poet doesn't want to share their poems? This poem, again, I think kind of politics, humor, and death are like themes that keep recurring. This poem has those, as I think many of the poems in the, in the book do. Uh, 
This poem is called Ronald Reagan Was an Idiot and Other Observations About My Birth Year. I was born late. There are any number of reasons I may have wanted to stay put. Every birth is a bad hair day for the baby. The star of bedtime for Bonzo had been elected to lead us through the Cold War. Maybe I wanted to stick it out till Christmas, because I hear Jews born on Christmas wind up a pretty big deal sometimes. Plus, the world can be a scary place. My mom saw The Shining while I was in utero, though in my cocoon, it must have sounded more like a whisper wielding an axe. There's nothing more sinister than a secret. How it makes the ears twitch like a dog barking at an earthquake that's not yet shook. I wonder if I mouthed, here's Johnny, as I burst into the world. I was born into the winter of 1981 to a 20 below wind chill. In other words, I was born into a world where we still had winter. They don't tell their children their plans to poison the air until the snow melts so the mosquitoes can fly their violent love anywhere they wish. The year I was born, the president was an idiot. Chalking this up to dementia is an insult to dementia. But when you're born into the right skin, to parents who can tell the churches what to teach, you can go from shitty actor to shitty governor to shitty president and still die to become the deity so many pray to when they're lying awake at night fearing demographic shifts. There's nothing more sinister than a secret we all know but pretend to forget how every newborn is the property of their ancestors' access to wheat, how the cradle can be the grave, how the grave can be a magic phone booth that makes men perfect, redacts our flaws like a designer to pay. Every funeral is a good hair day for the dead. Even the most desperate comb-over appears at peace. But the ice is thawing. The seas are rising and the warm, flooding earth doesn't preserve anything. Thanks for letting me read that. Oh, happy to. Uh, would you like to do another one? Sure. Okay. We'll do one from the book. Maybe I should do one not from the book. That would be um, great too. I'll do a more personal one because these have been kind of personal, but more political and I think I do think even though I don't I don't think my poems are like super jokey I do think I can I sometimes have to like make myself go there in terms of writing like really personal stuff um or sharing it okay uh so this is I don't, uh, after saying that I think this poem also probably would be perceived as, as kind of hiding behind humor but it's a little more intimate. This is called Inapplicable Diagnoses per the DSM-5. While waiting for my therapist, I flipped through the DSM-5 and learned that I do not meet the criteria for the following diagnoses. Boanthropy, a condition in which the subject believes they are a cow or an ox. Erotomania, a condition in which the subject experiences a persistent overwhelming delusion that a celebrity is in love with them. Boanthropic erotomania, a condition in which the subject believes they are a cow or an ox that a celebrity is in love with. 
inverted erotomanic boanthropic port mania, a condition in which the subject believes they are a cow or an ox that is in love with Natalie Portman. Sometimes I think I am an unknown species that is in love with everything, but is unable to love any specific thing. Sometimes I think I am an ant who believes the descending boot miles above him is just there for shade. There is no word for these conditions and I have not been diagnosed as such. Without a label, it is easy to feel alone. Autophagia, a compulsive disorder in which the subject wants to eat themselves. Boanthropic autophagia, a compulsive disorder in which the subject wants to eat themselves because they believe they are a piece of steak. Boanthropic erotomanic autophagia, a compulsive disorder in which the subject believes they are a piece of steak a celebrity cannot wait to consume. Sometimes I worry I am unworthy of consumption because I need to consume everything. I think the term for that is anxiety not the desire to consume, but the fear that anyone near me could get swallowed. Anxiety is a condition describing symptoms shared by 500 million people. This is why I find labels comforting. If I thought I was a cow, I would know there was a herd for me somewhere. Maybe just sitting in a community center auditorium, telling each other hello, discussing their progress and struggles, providing each other nourishment other than grass hay or cud, or their own good skin, saying it will be okay today, we'll live on two feet today, we'll fall, but we'll stand again. Like Beth Lanny's favorite poem of mine, and it got published in uh, Entropy. So okay. for, all you, for all you kids at home, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's funny because you just have this wonderful wry wit but you pack a powerful punch in the end yep. when, you know, cause I'm, I'm kind of laughing and I'm thinking to myself now he's, that's not made up, but this is made up and that's pretty funny. But you know, things like thinking you're an ant and the boot is just shade and how people protect themselves from what's going on in some ways, but also, you know, talking about anxiety and, how real that is and i i struggle with anxiety and i i try not to make a secret of it because so many people do and yeah that it's okay to be treated for anxiety because right. without that life becomes very very hard it's oh. hard enough as it is and then to struggle with that so you you put this wonderful humorous spin on it and then take this image of you know cows sitting in a circle saying you know it's going to be okay but really and suddenly the cow becomes us sitting there it's going to be okay you know I, it, well done I, that was that was great not not at all what i expected <laughs> oh thank you i guess it was it's my version of like a far side comic <laughs> I, oh, per perfect illustration there that's great <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much well, you, you bring up that that was, that was recently published. You've got had work um, featured in Jet Fuel Review, Button Poetry. You were also, I mean, you were the Chicago Grand Slam champion for two years in a row. And then yep. also the Great Plains Poetry Pileup. Mm -hmm. And we, are there any others you care to add? I don't know if I have any. Uh, 
I mean, I've, I've more, I, I don't get to go to slams as much now. So I've been writing for the page more. I, I know mm-hmm. poets like really bristle at the, at the po- page spoken dichotomy, uh, which I think is fair enough. I guess I just mean in terms of where the work is going to be, yeah. how people are going to be exposed to the work. It's more been me, me writing it and submitting it to places. And I think sort of the, the big accomplishment that I'm really proud of uh, this year is the book. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which is kind of nice because I feel like, you know, usually it was sort of like slam, slam, slams. And yeah. this is a little bit of a, a different a different tact, especially because poetry slams, I think are a blast, but are also really like emotionally difficult. Sure. Well, um, your book is available through Wild Pressed Books. Yes. And that's out of the UK, so that's kind of cool. I know, I know, I know. I feel like it, it gives it a uh, an air of an air of sophistication that you picture someone talking about it with a British accent. <laughs> oh, that's great. And and where can people find that? It can be found on uh, at Wild wildpressbooks.com website. So that's wildpressbooks.com. It's available on Amazon um, for Kindle and for uh, physical copies. And I'm I'm giving my, uh, Wild Press Books is giving a, a, I think a significant portion of their proceeds to the National Bond, uh, the National Bond Fund. Um, so yeah, pick it up or just, Better yet, give more money directly to the National Bond Fund. Okay, there you go. Although I think people would benefit from actually having a copy of your book too. So that's that's pretty good. I feel really weird marketing it when there's like, I feel like there's more important stuff people should be doing with their money, which I know is kind of silly and is kind of like turtles all the way down. But yeah. uh, yeah. But still there's some, you know, poetry can be... extremely therapeutic and I have found that I have turned to poetry more intensely during this period of time and and also to support other other poets I think is very significant right Um, when when things can be kind of up in the air so I know there's been a lot of conversation online about you know who how can you even write poetry when it's and I think it's almost more important Mm -hmm. that we stay with it because we we need that we need right. that creation uh, aesthetic I guess in order to combat yeah. some of the bad things that are going on. So oh, yeah, totally. And we need to be able to ar- ar- articulate them or just articulate the other things we're feeling in their midst. I think. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention, and when we talked about Jason and we talked about Lanny, you're part of the Mighty Morphin Poet Rangers. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Uh, yeah. If you want to talk about that a little bit, I just think it's so great that you guys have such a strong connection and support network. Yeah, it's really wonderful. It's like, it's, I mean, first of all, it's just a group of like incredibly talented people. Like the kind of, you know, the kind of writers where it's like, you're happy for them, but you're also like a little pissed because now you have to like step up your game. And it's, but it's also just like a really, a really great group of people. Uh, we're, we're very close friends. Every time, uh, I mean, when it's kind of, I moved to Ann Arbor and 
you know, I kind of knew a few people, but then uh, I read a poem and Lanny and Jason said, oh, you should come sit at our table. And then like this kind of whole friendship launched out of it. And we, we become like very close, which is really wonderful. We also, every time we get a rejection, we post it to the group, like the group text. And then, you know, we can all commiserate, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I think that is so cool that that you guys have something like that. And just some amazing talent has come out of it because you do push each other to the next level in writing. And that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's really, it's really, it's really great. It's I'm very lucky to uh to be a part of it. Yeah. All right. I would love to be able to send people to find you. Where can we find you in social media? Sure. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the MC Rota. So that's at the M-C-R-O-T-A. Um, you can find me there. Uh, you can also message me, uh, find me on Facebook. I don't really keep an, I don't really keep an artist's page. I yeah. think you have a SoundCloud. I do have a SoundCloud. Yeah, I also I also kind of do deeply neurotic rap music. Um, that's at uh, soundcloud.com slash M-C-R-O-T-A. Okay. So you should check me out there too. Uh, Rhoda uh, on, on Spotify. Well, and I think too, if they Google Eric Rhoda or Eric Sirota, sorry. Um, yeah, if you Google Eric Sirota. Hey, there, you've got some YouTube videos that pop up. Yeah, I've got some videos. Yeah, 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 there's some. Thank you so much. This has Thank been Thank you. This has really terrific. been a blast. Make sure you look for Rhoda online at the MC Rhoda on Twitter and Instagram. You can also search for his name and find his YouTube videos, SoundCloud recordings, and more. Visit wildpressedbooks.com to purchase his book, Giveth and Taketh. This episode brings season four to a close. Like many of you, I find myself in a very different place than I expected right about now. I've also discovered that it's time for a little breather, time to regroup. I'll be taking a few weeks off from posting episodes, but have already begun work on season five, and I am really excited about what's coming. There are going to be some great interviews, and I'm hoping to be more active on Instagram with live events and videos, so stay tuned for that. If you don't follow PoetKind, please find us at PoetKind Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I'd like to take a moment now to thank the incredible guests who have joined me on Season 4. You guys, you were amazing. I also want to thank my listeners and my supporters. Without you, I simply wouldn't be here. If you don't know it already, PoetKind is completely listener-supported, and that means that a few wonderful people think that PoetKind is a cool little podcast and want to keep it going. If you find you enjoy what happens here, please consider adding your name to the list of supporters. By doing this, you are helping PoetKind move forward and grow. Look for a link on your listening platform, click through or copy and paste into your search bar, and you'll be directed to our support platform. In a matter of a couple of moments, you can support the work we do here and help bring more great poets, more great content, and more surprises your way. You can also show your support by leaving reviews and ratings. These help us get seen. The more reviews equal more opportunities for PoetKind to be heard. 
I'll close now with the words I always close with. We are so much better together. Let's compare notes, not ourselves. Get out there and do what you were created to do. And whether it's poetry, painting, origami, or car sales, it doesn't matter. Do what makes you come alive and bring your unique and very important voice to the conversation. Again, thank you for listening. Go out there and live kind. Be kind. And I'll see you next season on Poet Kind.